together. But you, dear friend, build yourself up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. He says, pray in the Holy Spirit. Let's do that as we sing. Come Holy Spirit, I need you. I need him. We need him. The world needs him. Let's sing a prayer together. closed. Let's join hands with one another as we pray together. Dear Lord, we pray that your gentle Holy Spirit will come and speak to our hearts. And that part of our heart that needs to be disturbed, reawakened, renewed, perform that within us. Help us, dear Lord, to know that you are the great com comforter. But you are also the one who comes to make us uncomfortable when we are out of your will and not following you as we have professed to do. So all of us come today, dear Lord, asking that you will do some remodeling inside of each of us, but we're still under construction and we need your creative and loving and powerful strength and touch. We pray for our land that is thirsty, so desperately so. We pray for rain, and we pray that you will rain your Holy Spirit upon our own parched souls, that we might be refreshed in the inner man. Bless this service to the end that your name will be honored, your people encouraged, the faith extended, for we do pray this in your loving and redeeming name. Amen. I want to ask you a question. What was the number one emotion that people attributed to Jesus? What was the number one emotion that he attributed to himself? Now we say love. He was the embodiment and personification of love. But love, agape love, is not an emotion. It is an attitude. It is an attitude that creates an emotion. And the emotion creates change. 
the word most often attributed to Jesus, the emotion most often attributed to Jesus, was the word compassion. Compassion. Love gives birth to compassion, and compassion gives birth to activity, to service. Let me read you some quick examples of this from the scripture. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Notice, love produces compassion, which produces healing, teaching. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. He attributes that to himself. I have compassion for them, a feeling for them. Not only love attitudinally, but emotion, compassion. Compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry or they may collapse on the way. So what? Love produces compassion that produces food for hungry people. That's a sequence that's always to follow in our lives, as it did in his. Jesus stopped them, two blind men, and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched them, and immediately they received their sight. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. And I'm willing, he said, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. On and on and on it goes in the scripture. The widow at Nain that was burying her son, Jesus had compassion on her, touched the coffin, brought him back to life. Parenthetically, let me insert the idea that Jesus never met a funeral procession that he didn't end. He raised him from the dead. As a picture, a prophetic picture of what he will do in each of our lives, both in this life and in the life to come. Now, there's a passage of Scripture which I suppose, uh, more than suppose, I'm almost certain, this is my favorite chapter in the New Testament. If I had only one chapter in the New Testament to preach for a lifetime, I would select a passage I've preached on many times, many dozens of times, never identical sermons because it is, like all Scripture, fathomless. There is more there than we can ever know or understand or perceive and that is the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, page 1035 in the Bible and the book rack in front of you, which you might like to follow, where we're going to look at these three incredible stories. Now, I was given, uh, through my own reading and study, I was, I, I was given an idea, and I want to elaborate upon that idea, uh, that comes from Dr. Michael Wilcock, who uh, was a professor at Trinity College in uh, Bristol, England, and is now the vicar of uh, the St. Nicholas Church in Durham in England and he wrote a commentary upon this passage of scripture the 15th chapter of Luke and it just it just kind of blew my mind it opened me to a whole new concept that I'd never seen in this passage of scripture before isn't it exciting to read and learn something isn't it exciting to have something new out of a passage of scripture you have read a hundred maybe a thousand times but suddenly there's something else new and fresh emerging. And uh, Dr. Wilcock, I am indebted to you, sir, for this idea. What he says here, 
What he says about this passage of Scripture is that in this passage of Scripture, God reveals all of himself, all of himself in his Trinitarian nature. God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Father. And he says in the first story, the story of the lost sheep, is really the story of the good shepherd because the lost sheep, we're all one of those because we're all sheep. And at one time or another, we all wander. Some wander further away than others. Some wander only in their minds and their attitudes, their desires. Other translate, others translate that into action. And uh, they move away looking for greener pastures or because they've lost their orientation, whatever it might be. But Jesus is the good shepherd who goes out. And he said, I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. Not just those that are judicially lost in the sense that they're not going to spend eternity with the Lord in heaven, but people's, people whose lives are not finding their way now, who have not found, found their niche in life, what God wants them to be and to do. They're lost in the sense that they cannot get, re, get oriented regarding their direction. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep. And I want you to notice that he, the shepherd, goes out to find one sheep out of a hundred. One sheep out of a hundred. You may, you may be that one sheep. You may think you're that, the only sheep that's kind of wandered away or drifted or you've kind of neglected the Lord in your life. Maybe you've neglected church or Bible reading or prayer, concern for other people. You've gotten busy in the busyness of life. He's come to restore you, pick you up, bring you back, rejoicing. I was in the grocery store the other day taking my prescription in, and there was a lady in front of me, and if she's here today, and I hope she is, naturally I'm not going to call your name or embarrass you, but uh, she was at the desk there giving her prescription to the pharmacist, and she turned and saw me and apparently recognized me, and, and she went off to the side, and I, I just smiled, said hello, and then I handed my prescription to the druggist, and, and uh, I went around to pick up some other things before I went up to, while they filled my prescription. And I was over there in one of the aisles, and she came up to me, and she said, uh, I know who you are, and I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to you. Certainly. She said, I'm a single mother, children. And she said, I've got to find some place to belong. And she started crying. She said, I... Just everything seems to be fragmenting. And I've got to find a place to belong. I said, well, the first place you begin is with the Lord. And he has put this unrest in your heart for a reason. And he's brought us here. This is a providential moment. I don't believe this is an accident at all. I believe we're supposed to be standing here in this aisle in the grocery store talking about this need in your life. And I took a piece of paper and I wrote Ron Hill's name on there and telephone number here at the church and Jan Carnes. I said, now call that number and they'll tell you where to come on Sunday to go to the Rubel Center where you're going to find a lot of sheep just like yourself 
who are there because they have been found, and they're there because they're being helped by other people. They're found because the Lord has come through people to help them, people who love them and who have compassion for them and who reach out and take them by the hand. So come. I hope she's here today. I hope she's here. And I said, can we have a moment of prayer? She said, certainly. So we stood there in the aisle in the grocery store, and I prayed for her. And I want you to pray for her. And pray for a lot of people like her. Probably thousands of people like her in this city. Maybe many in this church. But listen, you know what Jesus does? He comes one at a time, one person. There may be a hundred people here today who are having that feeling right now. He comes individually to you. He doesn't save us in mass. He saves us individually. One, one, one at a time. And so he has come because he loves you. This is the shepherd. This is Jesus Christ who was sent by God the Father to reconcile the world unto the Father. God was in Christ reconciling him. He sent him out as the shepherd into the fields that are white unto harvest, and he went out and he picked up some lost sheep and brought them home. There's a picture of what he wants to do in your life and in mine and what he wants to do through us as a church. I know not how deep were the waters crossed nor how dark the night the Lord passed through. I only know that through those dark nights and that deep water, the shepherd found his sheep. He will find you today and bring you to joy if you let him. Second story Jesus tells. The second story he tells in the 15th chapter of Luke is about a woman and a lost coin. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. There's that word again, one. One on one. Philip Keller, in that marvelous book of his, let me back up, and about the uh, a shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm. He says that a shepherd in the, in the Bible lands, you could blindfold him and you could bring his sheep up one by one, and he could tell the name of that sheep just by feeling of their face. The intimacy that, re, that existed between the sheep and the shepherd, that's how he knows you. If God were blindfolded, he would know you and love you one, one, one at a time. And here's this woman who lost one coin. The setting is in a home. And Dr. Wilcox says this is the symbol and the picture of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, a woman with insight, with intuition, a woman who sees a lifeless coin and she lights a candle and she sweeps the house and she finds the coin. Here is a woman who understands caring for little ones. You know, I believe that women have a greater love for life uh, than men do. I believe they do. I believe women have a, a, an intuition that we men don't have. Now, I realize that we are from Mars and women are from Venus. And that's a wonderful book, by the way. But let me tell you, uh, I'll give you a personal experience. 
My wife, Martha, has an incredible talent and ability. When I'm going to fix something, and I, I, I talk about fixing this and going to do this and work this over here, fine. It's, all, it's, a, it's, a, good, it's a good motive. But Martha, in a very delicate and sensitive way, will say, that's good. Have you thought about this approach? Well, I hate to admit it, guys, but that was a better approach. It's a more personal one. It's a more intimate one. To women, life is internal. They carry life within them. Sex for women is internal. For men, it's external. So women have a deeper sense of spirit. And I believe that's why Dr. Wilcox says this marvelous story that Jesus gave is attributed to women because women have a sense of the spirit of what's going on in a person's life and that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants to indwell us with his spirit. He wants to impregnate us with his spirit so that we can be full of his spirit and give birth to life. To the lost coins of the world to bring light and love and spirit. God the Son, God the Spirit, and then God the Father. My favorite story of all the stories in the Bible. I have preached on it so many times. Some of you uh, know that. If you've been here any length of time at all, you know that. You know the story. Everybody knows the story just about. Uh, it's amazing. You look in literature. Shakespeare referred to it more than any other single Bible event. Uh, Alexander Pope, uh, Herman Melville, um, Sinclair Lewis. It, throughout all literature, they allude to the story of the prodigal son. Who said to his father, I want to leave and I want you to divide your inheritance with me. And so the father did divide it between him and his brother. And he went off into a far country. And you know the story, how he spent his substance, his life, his money in riotous living. And he ended up down in a pig pen. And he was taking care. Can you imagine how degrading it was for a Jewish boy to be taking care of pigs? It was just an insult to him, and there he was. And they wouldn't even give him any of the corn cobs. They were feeding the pigs. And the Bible says he came to himself. He came to himself. He got his head on straight. I believe there in that far country, Jesus had bumped into him. For that's where he went. He came into our far country to bring us back. And the Spirit of God began to convict him. Looking at those pigs reminded him of the friends he'd had who just eaten up all of his money and his resources. And suddenly he was convicted. I've been wasting my life. I've been spending it on stuff that doesn't matter. And here I am down here taking care of these pigs. He was convicted. The Holy Spirit convicts us because he loves us, not to punish us, not to make us feel guilty, but to make us susceptible to the love of God who wants to pick us up and bring us to the Father. 
the incredible power of conviction. And he does slip up on us sometimes to convict us in ways that we're not expecting. I can think of many in my life, but one I want to share with you. One, uh, when I was in the Marine Corps, we stood in line a lot. And we were standing in this long line. I don't remember where it was. I think it was at Paris Island uh, boot camp. And we were standing there to get shots. And they were giving shots, one in each arm and one in your back. And so we were standing there, and there was a guy about five or six people in front of me, kind of a great big loudmouth guy. And he was using the name Jesus Christ as a curse word. Now, I grew up, no one ever did that where I grew up. They, they would use the name of God and take it in vain, but it just was not part of our culture, at least, to use Jesus Christ as a curse word. And I don't like to hear anybody say that. And if I hear some of these so-called comedians that are handicapped in their vocabulary and can only try to make people laugh by saying bad words, I turn them off. They don't have enough talent to really make people laugh, and so they resort to the gutter. Uh, but to use Jesus Christ as a curse word just grated on me, like scraping chalk across a blackboard. And he was just one right after the other, just abusive to everyone, loud, raucous. As a guy, we called him Flat Top Davis. And the reason, because you know they cut all of our hair off, just shaved it off. And Flat Top, we called him that because the top of his head looked like an aircraft carrier. I mean, <laughs> so we called him Flat Top Davis. So Flat Top walked past me. I, I wasn't in the same platoon as the guy that was using the name of Jesus that way, but we were backed up behind them. And Flat Top just walked up to him kind of casually, and he said, you know, if you were using my mother's name, whom I love so very much, using her name the way you're using Jesus' name, I'd be up here speaking to you. But I'm up here speaking to you because you're using somebody who's more important to me than even my mother. He is my Savior. And you're using his name in a derogatory way. And if I hear you say it anymore around me, I'm going to beat the out of you. <laughs> well, we all kind of backed up. We got ready for a fight. I thought, here, we're going to have it. And he stood there ready. And the guy finally kind of dropped his eyes and looked at the ground. And flat top went back and got in line, didn't say anymore. You know, that convicted me, not because I ever used the name of Jesus in vain, but I didn't have that kind of courage. I didn't have that kind of commitment. You know, I saw flat top in a different way after that. I don't know whether it was divine justice or not, but when we went in to get the shots, the guy saw those needles and he fainted. <laughs> I mean, on the floor, they just rolled him over, pow, 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 you know, and just left him there. And I mean, that guy got a double whammy that day, didn't he, poor fellow? <laughs> I don't know where he is, but I bet every time he uses Jesus' name, he looks around somewhere. <laughs> See a flat top shown up to get him. The Spirit of God is a way of convicting us, doesn't he? He kind of slips up on us to convict us and remind us that we're a lost sheep or a lost coin or a lost son who's wandered off into the far country. Well, he began to practice his speech on the sheep 
He said, I'm going to go home. He said, goodness, everybody there is doing better than I'm doing. They just at least got something to eat. And so he started making his speech to go home speak to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. He just practiced on the pigs, and they didn't pay any attention. They'd look up at him like that and go back to eating. And after a few days, he got enough courage to come home. You know who I think came with him? He was unseen, but I believe Jesus was walking right beside him. And the spirit of Jesus was working in his heart, motivating those feet to move. And the father, who in this great story and the marvelous insight that Dr. Wilcock had, God the father was watching and waiting. He knew his son had gone out there. He knew he'd send his spirit out into the world. And then he starts home. And when he was a great way off, the father who'd been waiting and watching saw him. And he ran to meet him. Here's Jesus picturing God running down the dusty road with the robes flowing. Aristotle said great men never run in public, but Aristotle never met Jesus. He says God runs to meet this boy. And he runs down there, and the boy tries to make his speech, and the father puts his arms around him, and he smelled of the pig pen, and his shoes were worn out, and he was terrible looking and smelling. The father put his arms around him and hugged him and kissed him and said, bring some shoes and put on the boy. Bring some robes and put on the boy and kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a party. My son was lost and he's found. He was dead and he's alive. One boy, one coin, one sheep. And all three of them came home to a party. All three of them. All three of them came home to joy. When you read those three stories, you'll read the word joy eight times. You don't come home to something depressing and discouraging. You come home to celebration. You come home to joy. You come home to life. Carl Olson, whom I heard speak of at uh, Lady Lodge many years ago, marvelous book, come to the party, four classes of people. One group doesn't even know there's a party going on. Second group knows there's a party going on, but don't believe they're invited. Third group believes there's a party going on, know they're invited, but they don't believe they deserve to go and have a good time. The fourth and smallest group are those who know there's a party, they know they're invited, they know they can go because they've been invited by God the Father. You can come home, home. Isn't that a great word? It is a great word to me. I wish it could be a great word to everybody in the world. I want it to be a great word for all of our children and grandchildren. Home, there is no place like a godly home. Home. It's where we want to be, isn't it? And you play baseball, do you try to get to fourth base? No. You get to first base, and second base, and third base. Well, what do you want to do to win? Come home. Come home. This girl was engaged to a young man, and Unfortunately, since they had not yet gotten married, she was pregnant with his child. And he called to say, I'm going to pick you up. We're going to go do something special. And she thought he was coming to pick her up to go get married. Her roommate and she living on the second floor in New York. 
She got in the car with her fiance and she said, where are we going? And he said, I'm taking you to have an abortion. And while the car was moving, she jumped out of the car trying to kill herself. All of her dreams shattered. All of, our hope, all of her hopes in the dust. And they rushed her to the hospital. She was seriously hurt. She lost the baby, nearly lost her life. But in the process of her recovery, she met a doctor in the hospital. And when she recovered, they started going together. And then they fell in love. And he came to pick her up, to go get married. So she had her bags packed and her roommate had helped her and they'd gotten them all downstairs and the roommate stood there and watched him pack the car and watched her friend get in the seat next to him in the front and watched them drive off. And she said, wouldn't it be wonderful to meet someone who knows all about you and still loves you? Well, I can tell you there's one person for certain who knows all about me and all about you, and he loves us. A son that's come to reach us, a spirit that's come to convict us, a father that's come to welcome us home. Well, come home today. Come home. Put your faith and trust in him. Become a part of his family here if you are already a Christian. Come be a part of the family of God in this place to help us love and have compassion. And love is something you do. Something you do. Do it today. I'll be here to greet you. Let's stand. You sing.